Duty is defined as a task that one is required to perform, a responsibility, a legal responsibility. You are owed a duty by others at all times, whether a sole person or a huge corporation. You are owed a duty to be safe from negligent, careless, intentional acts that cause you serious damage, death, permanent injury, catastrophic loss. Others have caused a breach, a breach of the duty due you and yours. Your only recourse is to pursue a legal claim. It is impossible to turn back time so that the injury and damage did not occur. Monetary compensation is the only alternative, both to compensate you for your loss but also to confirm the conduct of the wrongdoer. Motor vehicle accidents, slip and fall injuries, assault, dangerous products, workplace injuries, animal bites, defamation, these are a portion of the wrongs that are inflicted on you and yours. Upsitnik and Associates can make the difference. Al Upsitnik has litigated, tried, and settled injury claims throughout the United States in his home state of Pennsylvania, but also New York, Maryland, and Alaska, just to name a few. When duty is breached, contact Opsitnik and Associates to make things right. For you, for yours. Contact them toll-free, 1-866-391-3299, or visit them on their Facebook page, Opsitnik and Associates, or their website, OpsitniksLaw.com. See the links in the description below for more information. Hello, everybody. Zach back with the Carnival of Randomness. I'm joined by Rye again. Hello again. Hello. And this time we we're going to kind of do something a little different. We're going to kind of go riddle, a little riddle, a little free-flowing here. Because earlier mm. today as we're recording this, you sent me an update about the uh, DNA history thing that you had taken and sent in. And I was thinking to myself at the time, like, man, that would make an interesting podcast. And then you said the same thing. And I was like, oh, great minds do think alike. So, yeah, exactly. And um, so I figured, and you figured as well, let's just sit here and shoot the breeze about, you know, the whole idea about being able to trace your DNA. Because I've actually done it. I did mine through Ancestry. Who did you do yours through? My Heritage. Okay, My Heritage. And because for me, we'll start off that way. Going into it with the family I have, they we talked about the family history and this and that. So I had a fairly good idea of what the the makeup would be. And yeah. when I got the results back, I was surprised by a couple things, but not surprised by a lot of them. Because, you know, growing up, it's like, well, you're half Italian and half Slovak. Yeah. And that's kind of how we went because my mom's side of the family is Italian as far back as the day is long. And, but it was awesome. You mean exactly awesome. And it was a uh, dad's side of the family that was a little more confusing though. We did have a cousin who actually was the former, um, ambassador to Slovakia. Yeah. Who actually, I've never met, him but i know he's met my dad and he's been in contact he did this really cool family tree that traced our roots back to i think it would be my 
two or three times great-grandfather who was born over in, uh, I think it's Slovakia, but at the time it was Austria-Hungary. Yeah. And so we had a kind of a good idea of that, and then the results came back, and yeah, and I sent you the the picture of it earlier, but the percentages was there's two, because apparently I'm Southern and Northern Italian. Just doubly awesome. Exactly. So we have Southern Italian, 25%, Northern Italian, 18%, so 43% Italian, so almost half. Yeah. And 33% is labeled under the Eastern Europe and Russia, which then breaks down to Poland, Slovakia, Hungary, and Romania, but further breaks down to Hungary and Slovakia, which is basically exactly what we thought it would be from the family tree that we had. And then that's the other, why I thought this would be, yeah. What, what were you, what were you going to say? Well, that's why I thought it would be, you know, interesting to do this one because you and I are coming from two completely different sides of the family. You guys can trace your ancestry, you know, back to in America, back to Ellis Island and even beyond in Europe. Yeah. You know, so that's, you know, that's fascinating to me. Exactly. So if give as much of, you know, your background as you feel comfortable giving, but why especially this is going to be extra interesting for you. Yeah. So for me, it's, you know, it's interesting because I was uh, a former foster child. Uh, I was adopted. I was removed from my family at about six months old, spent uh, several years in foster care. I was about three and a half, four when I was adopted. Mm hmm which already makes it a little confusing. And it was a, uh, what's called a closed adoption. So that means zero contact between my biological family until 18. Right. And, you know, I did eventually track down uh, my father, but he has some learning disabilities. So talking to him is, is a little bit difficult. Uh, my birth mother didn't want any contact. Yeah, and on top of that, your biological father himself was adopted. Yeah, so we're in this sort of double double adoption thing. So as hard as it already is for, like, for most adoptees, it's even harder because, yeah, my birth father himself was also adopted in, uh, as far as I can tell, sort of what seems to be a very confusing, slightly shady, maybe not super ethical or even legal adoption. Oh, fantastic. They really don't seem to have very much sort of paperwork or information on on it or sort of on his his biological parents. Right. So basically, like, we have not. I have nothing. I have... I had a tiny bit of sort of basic information that social services took. And of course you have to sort of think about the situation my parents were in when they were, you know, giving this information. Right. It's exactly. pretty hostile. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's, it's sort of third, second hand, third hand information. Well, exactly. Uh, Once you get past first hand, everything starts to get a little skewed. Yeah. You know, so it's, you know, I basically had nothing. I mean, I don't know pretty much anything about my biological parents that much or even less about their parents, my grandparents. Right. Uh, I know my dad is at least partially uh, native for what we call First Nations in Canada. I was going to say that uh, First Nations is the term for 
what the U.S. basically would classify as Native American. Yeah. What would that be? Uh, Ojibwa? Probably, yeah, based on the location, but, you know, you're just not entirely certain. Right. Uh, my mom, uh, sort of from what I've gleaned, possibly Czech, so I could be sort of Slovak, too, a little bit. Yeah, the Slav! <laughs> Slavic pride! Yeah, exactly. But, you know, I don't know. So anything could come out of this. Right. And it's going to be very fascinating. Like, it was fascinating to me because even though I had an inkling, yeah, there was still a lot of stuff in there that I was like, really? Well, yeah. And it's cool to, you know, have it confirmed, even if you sort of have inklings, because, of course, every family has stories. And, you know, one of the the, uh, funny things about doing these kits is kind of how many of those stories end up being blown up. Oh, God, yeah. You know, I mean, for you, it wasn't so much of a, an issue, you know, but for a lot of families. No, but for a lot of know. families, and it's not like it was done, you know, intentionally or out of some sort of malice. It's just that's what they've heard for so long. Well, that's it, you know, so it's it's interesting, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be crazy to see. And, uh, you know, Hunter did one to my son, so that'll be interesting because certain genes, you know, I think are only carried on the Y. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see uh, what his dad is. Yeah, you know, or anything that I might have, you know, sort of had, but, you know, maybe not sort of expressed and carried along in the Y that I passed on to him. Well, you could always go to your brother and have him do one. I thought about it, but, you know, he's... We don't see him very much. It would be a very long process to to get him to do it. Yeah. So, no, but that, and you sent both yours and his out at the same time, so they're probably being processed about the same time. Yeah, uh, his is just a few days behind mine in the the process. I mean, I'd love to have my brother do it, because between the two of us, he looks... Uh, very much sort of more First Nations. <laughs> so I think he, he well, might maybe, have more. maybe this could be the thing. If you get it back and it, there is some interesting stuff, maybe that could be a catalyst for you to, for him to really be convinced yeah. that, hey, this could be something very interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I should specify that he is my biological brother. We yes. are adopted together. <laughs> exactly. We were a pair. Yes. And what a pair. Uh, exactly. But, you know, but it is fascinating, and especially because it wasn't until, you know, really recently that this technology kind of became available for your average person to be able to take advantage of. Yeah, you know, it used to be you could have it done, but it would probably cost, you know, hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. Right, or, you know, back in even, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, what did you really have to do? You had to, you know basically do it on yourself become an amateur genealogist yeah you know whereas now it's like 80 90 bucks a kit yeah and now they have that show uh who do you think you are it, it's all in different countries and you know that didn't come out until maybe 10 years ago you yeah know, i mean the, the fact that this... now you know people are able to trace their genetics back to you know even in some cases medieval times or even pre-medieval Oh, I really like that show. I think the sort of rise of, of genealogy has been kind of fascinating. Oh, you know? incredibly fascinating. I mean, I think most people find it fascinating, but, you know, as someone who knows nothing about my own past, I, you know, I really find it interesting to see how much some people know. Right. And so that's why I'm very curious to see what your results turn turn out to have. And I think we should also say that 
you know, provided you you want to do it, once you get your results, maybe we could have a follow-up on this. Yeah, they're supposed to come through sometime sort of early, mid-March, hopefully, so... Yeah, so who knows? We could have a couple of weeks, we could have some results, and then uh, what it's going to be, I think it's going to be... Some questions will be answered, but many more will be formed. And as I've told you, if I get even like 0.5% Italian, you're never hearing the end of oh it. Oh my god, no. Everything in your house will be painted red, white, and green. Yep. You know, you're going to get a fake mustache. <laughs> you're going to go all out because you want that Italian roots. Yeah, right. I. It's awesome. It's a beautiful country. It's, you know, obviously ultra-historic. You know. Well, it is. I mean, you know, you look at it, a lot of history happened there and a lot of stuff came out of there. But I got to say, I'm really curious because I think for the long time, you and I kind of worked off the assumption that you were like First Nation and yeah. like British Isles, like Welsh yeah, that's and what, British. That's sort and, of what, what I'd sort of heard and what I kind of assumed. Yeah, um, and then all of a sudden, you know, you get from your mom that, oh, you might have some Slavic history you're like well wait a minute where did that come from exactly you know and you know and if you look at my results the anytime you see slavic it's going to be a weird mishmash because the slavs and that whole area was constantly being conquered and reconquered and under somebody else's control and people were coming in and out of there for centuries yeah you know, so like some of the weirder ones about me, the smaller percentages. So like between Italian and Hungarian, Hungary. Slovakian, that takes up what forty three and thirty three is seventy six percent. Yeah, but then I get into you know the subsections. It's a ten percent Balkan. Yeah, you know oh, that was interesting to see. Yeah, and the Balkans, which is you know basically almost like the former Yugoslavia, so. You know, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Bulgaria, Croatia, Montenegro, North Macedonia, Romania, and Serbia. Yeah. So, but that makes sense considering their proximity to the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Yeah. And then that was 10%. 9% was Germanic Europe. So that's Germany and Switzerland. And that makes sense because my paternal grandmother, we kind of assumed was German. Mm. Just uh, with her last name and everything that we were told, we knew there had to be some sort of uh, German or Austrian influence. And then you yeah. get, then you get down to the teeny weeny, and because that Germanic Europe was nine percent, the teeny weeny little percentages. I don't know if you saw it in the picture I sent you, but two percent Greece and Albania. So it's awesome. You know, and that that also includes uh, Bulgaria and Kosovo. Mm. So you're really looking that kind of a that Balkan area and Mediterranean. And yes. the, the weirdest one, and the one that made me go, "What was the two percent Ireland?" Oh, that's uh, unusual. Yeah, it's like so somebody from Ireland met up with somebody from either Italy or Austria or whatever the hell happened, and. So that's so you're the super super Catholic Italian <laughs> Catholic and Irish Catholic. Yeah, exactly. Good God. And then the final one, the lowest one, it's a one percent, but it says it can go range from zero to three percent is the Baltics. 
Mm. And the Baltic countries are up near Scandinavia. You're looking Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia. Uh-huh. Oh. So basically, you look at mine, it's Europe. Yeah, it's all That's over it. that sort of... Europe. <laughs> you know, there's no Native American, no Asian... Uh, even though we're all basically descended from the cradle of civilization in Africa. Yeah. Which, sorry guys, it's been proven humanity came from Africa. Yeah, but you get to be Italian. Exactly. I get the Italian, I got uh, the slot. Who are, who are they with the winged armor? The Hussars? The Hussars, you know. And if, you, if you've never seen that armor, Google it. Hussars is H-U-S-S-A-R. They had this amazing armor with yeah, these wings it was it's fantastic looking it's proud of all the armor i've seen and obviously you know you, there are other amazing armor like samurai armor but those wings when you get a whole group of guys wearing them on horseback charging in it's it's pretty phenomenal yeah so apparently i have a lot of uh, horseman dna yeah exactly. and uh, i don't really get along with horses and uh, never actually ridden on one because I've always been too big, and the only horses I could ride would be Clydesdale. Ah, I did a bit when I was young. Ooh, fancy. <laughs> but then weirdly, you go down on mine, because I went through Ancestry, like I said, so yours is probably going to do something similar. It goes down to additional communities. Yeah. And you're looking at some of the early American settlers. Mm. So you're looking at Ohio, Indiana, and Eastern Kentucky settlers from the Germanic part. Yeah. Um, although I know, I don't know about the Italian side, but I know pretty much everybody on the Slovakian side came and settled in the Pittsburgh area. So we have uh, Pennsylvania, Eastern Ohio, Northern West Virginia, and Maryland settlers. Well, that's a huge community in Pittsburgh, isn't it? That, you know, sort of Slovak. Oh, yeah. There's a big, big Slovak uh, population and uh, presence in Pittsburgh. But not just that. Just a lot of, um, especially Eastern Europeans, there's a lot of, um, like, Orthodox churches there. Uh, You know, if you go out further east, you would run into more of the German immigrants. The Pennsylvania Dutch. Yeah. A.K.A. the Amish. Uh, and mind you, they call them Pennsylvania Dutch. They are not Dutch. They are German. They took it from the German word for Germany, which is Deutsch. I know. That always throws everybody yeah, for a loop. That throws everybody it... off. But the Pennsylvania Dutch are not from the Netherlands. They are from Germany. Because most, you know, I think most countries, you know, call themselves, you know, what they are. Whereas in Germany, you know, Deutschland. Yeah, Deutschland. <laughs> So, yes, I've always been fascinated by the Amish. I think it's a really interesting culture. They make really good furniture and really good food. Mm, and I'm I've not stereotyping. And they are very polite. I've I've seen a lot of them over the years. Um, actually, a couple years ago, at a, I was at a flea market out in uh, central Pennsylvania. And I was walking around and there was a couple of, um, you know, Amish teenage girls walking around. And they were speaking to each other in Pennsylvania Dutch, and that's the first time I'd ever heard that language spoken. Mm. And it was very fascinating. It was very Germanic-sounding, let's put it that way. It definitely is, and I just, like, the whole thing is is sort of incredible, you know, obviously living without electricity. 
Right, living without electricity, one phone for the village, one guy can use the phone. You know, it's it's you know, the really... idea of Rumspringa. Yeah, that always really fascinates me. They've done a few TV shows where it either follows actual Amish kids doing it or uh, sort of teenage swaps where they'll have, like, a few Brit kids or... Yeah, no I've kids seen those ones. Coast. They'll take some British kids and send them to middle-of-nowhere Amish country, Pennsylvania. And, you know, it's sort of fascinating watching them, you know, just the absolute culture clash. Yeah. That, you know, they go to and... You know, on sort of both ends, watching the the Amish teens, you know, go out and, you know, the guys all buy a car that if they decide to go back, they'll sell in, you know, what, like two months? Uh, what do they give? I think it, I think Rumspringa is, I think it's three years, Mm. but it's the ages. I think it's 15 to 17 or 14, I think it's 15 to 17. Yeah, you know, so they all buy the... You so know, they buy a buy car it. and then they have to sell the car because, you know, the one thing people may not know is the overwhelming majority re- return to the Amish culture. Yeah, it's something crazy, you know, like 70 or 80% or I more. Think it's, yeah, right around 80%, but, um, and unfortunately sometimes they bring, uh, they bring some things from the outside world back with them, which is why several years ago there was a pretty bad uh, drug problem throughout... Uh, the Pennsylvania yeah. Amish culture. That's too bad, but it is just like I find it just sort of fascinating, and you know the little community that they have. Yeah, so um, you know that's you know we we settled further west, so we were coal miners. We weren't Amish. Yeah, but still, the fact is, you know that all of them came from basically the same area. You know the Germanic the Germanic cultures over in Europe. Yeah, <laughs> and. You know, and it makes me really curious, and I know this is going to really cause you to start doing some intense digging once you get your results. It's like, where in the hell did the Irish come from? Oh, that's because I've done, you know, you've done a lot of poking around. And uh, when I had a couple of temporary memberships on, you know, some of these genealogy websites, I did some poking around for you. And, you know, we found some of your, you know, your... Uh, Italian roots and you know all of them but never anything Irish yeah you know never anything Irish never anything Greek never anything Albanian but according never to anything ancestry British Isles at all. yeah but according to ancestry and the sample I sent back it's in there and my question is where is it from did other people in your family do it too? My mom did it, and I can't remember. Her results were obviously overwhelming, overwhelmingly Italian. <laughs> I would think so. Um, I think my sister did it, but uh, she would probably have, you know, pretty much identical results to me, I would think. Yeah, it would be interesting to see, you know, to see what theirs were. I'm going to have to, um, I don't know if my dad did it, but I'm going to actually... Next time I talk to my mom, I'm going to ask her. Yes, yeah, she'll send you her, I, her results. I know she did it because we talked about it when she got her results back, but that was so long ago, I can't remember. Mm, yeah, so you talk to her and talk to your sister, because I'd be really curious. Yeah, and then I, and if not, maybe I'll you know, convince my dad to do it. <laughs> you know, it would be really crazy to do. For... Have, have my grandfather do it? Well, that, but I was also thinking, you know, it would be hilarious if, uh, if my mom and, you know, I'm saying my adoptive mom, 
you know, if she and her sister did, because they're identical twins. That would be, you know what? That would be actually be really interesting to see what they what they would turn up. You would think they would be identical, but something but tells me don't. it wouldn't be. No, that's the weird thing is that like they're not that tiny variant of DNA. You know, like it's like I don't know ninety nine. You know, they're like ninety nine percent the same or whatever. But there's that little bit. Right there's that one percent, and it's like, what is that one percent? You know, so like I've watched other you know, twins, identical twins and, and stuff do it. And they do sometimes get surprisingly different results. Yeah. And that, and I know, I'll bet you they would both find that really fascinating. You know, so I may, at some point I may see if I could get them to do it. Cause it really would be. Why not for, uh, why not for their birthday or for Christmas? Get them each yeah. one of them. You know, it would be fascinating to see, you know, and I think, uh, because their birthdays would come after you got your results back, right? Yeah, uh, March 5th. So, I would say, why not, you know, once you get your results back, share them with them. Like, hey, why don't you guys do it? You know, we'll get you the kits for, you know, for Christmas, and it would be something interesting. Yeah, you know, I think that would be pretty funny. Or, sorry, in Canada, Moosemus. Mm, yes, our, our mighty Moosemus. <laughs> yes, Santa Moose. What, you guys don't have that? No, no, we don't have Santa Moose. Well, pity you. All right. No, we have Santa pierogies. Yeah, delicious. But no, I mean, that, and I actually, until you said that, I completely forgot that your mom and your and your aunt were, were identical, identical twins. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but I'm, but now that, you know, we've always kind of had that curiosity, but now that the results are being processed as we speak mm. the intensity of that curiosity has increased i think at least for me it had to be for you oh yeah you know because it's growing up it's something you always sort of think about and you know there's always the when you turn 18 in these sort of situations do you look do you not look and sort of how much do you press you know you, you don't want to interrupt somebody else's life but obviously you have, you know you have questions yeah um, you know, so it's just, and, you know, back when I turned 18, there, you know, most, it, these tests didn't exist and sort of the whole process of, frankly, even trying to get into contact was, was very long. And, well, exactly. And you know, back when you and I, you know, got about a year or so older than you, but back when you turned 18, there was no Facebook, there was barely any internet. No, you know, and so when I first sort of started looking at, you know, sort of maybe trying to get into contact with my, you know, biological family and all of that, it was, you know, I would have had to have flown out to Ontario and done sort of, you know, pre-meeting therapy through the the social services agency and, you know, stayed there for like a week and gone through their whole long process. Yeah, and it would have been, and that and that's a great word for it, it would have been a process. It really was, you know, I mean, it's sort of like why, you know, I just need contact information, but it's like, no, you have to, you know, you have to do several days of, you know, pre-reunion therapy, and then you have the actual meeting at their place, and then they do therapy after, and it's just sort of this huge log. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> but so, but this so definitely like, this definitely makes it a lot easier. Well, that's it, because it doesn't involve... It doesn't have to involve, you know... Right, them, it's completely like... non-evasive for everybody except the person that has to spit in a little vial. Well, that's it. It's sort of like I don't need 
sort of anybody's consent to do this. Right, exactly. <laughs> Which is always nice, because, you know, so much, even uh, sort of well into adulthood, you know, in these sort of delicate situations, it's kind of like, well, you need, you know, you're 35, 36 years old, but you still need consent from this person and that person and the agency and the Right, and what happens workers. if, like, one of those people are no longer living? And, you know, sometimes it's almost like you're out of luck, like they just don't care. It's still like, well, you needed their consent, so you know, goodbye. Not, not to make a horrible pun, but that's probably where the, the phrase dead end comes from. Yeah. It, so, you know, it sort of felt like that, where it's like, well, you know... <laughs> You know, I'm an, I'm an adult, I don't need consent from anybody. Right, exactly. And now, within a couple of weeks, you're going to have that uh, stuff emailed to you. Yeah, which is cool, you know. And, and you're going to know. You're, you're not going to know everything, obviously, because, like I say, this created more questions than it really answered. Mine did, at least. Yeah. But it's going, to be a, it's going to be a starting point, and it's going to be a very interesting starting point and a very interesting journey. Well, that's it. This whole thing is just sort of going to be a, you know, has been a sort of crazy lifelong journey of, you know, self-discovery, as sort of cliche as that sounds. But, well, I mean, it, it but, really but in is. a weird way, especially for an adoptee like you, it's really, really 100% true and accurate statement. It definitely is, you know, <laughs> when you can't even sort of tell, you know, where your own grandparents came from, <laughs> you know. Right, exactly. But, you know... But then you have your uh, biological grandparents that have some interesting roots. Or not biological, your adoptive grandparents that have some interesting roots. Yeah, you know. <laughs> they go back further in the U.S. than you do. That's true. They go back down to the deep, deep south, don't they? Yeah, my my adoptive grandma was from Georgia. Well, see, there you go. And, um, you know, and yeah, it looks like the earliest I can find is... Uh, we came over in probably the... I mean, we were post-Civil War when we came over. Whereas uh, my my adoptive dad, who's from Atlanta, you know, uh, left a bunch of his stuff in the garage here, and so when I was clearing it out, a bunch of it was from my grandma, and one of the things was her Dar card, Daughters of the American oh, yeah, Revolution. Right. you told me about that, the Daughters of the American Revolution, and you have to have documented very long American roots to be able to get into that. Yeah, it's and it's uh, genealogic, like it's uh, blood related. They don't actually accept uh, adoption roots. No, unfortunately not. But just the fact that you know that it's very interesting from from a historical standpoint because we're both so interested in history. That's it. I mean, I think that's fine. I know some people would probably be offended by it, but you know, I'm. It doesn't offend me at all. No, and that I, that I wouldn't qualify. You know, I just think it's cool to have. Yeah, it's it's an it's an interesting piece of history. And what have we always said? History ain't pretty. Well, that's it. You know, and for things like that, it's like it is what it is, right? Like the the dar is it's a blood, you know, a, a DNA link, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, so that's fine. But it was just cool to find because, unfortunately, my my grand passed away in in early two thousand and one, I believe it was. You know, so this is sort of well before I was kind of into this sort of thing or even that interested in history. You know, it was just I never had a chance to actually talk to her about any of this. Right? Can you imagine if she was still with us now? Oh man, I'd love to have asked her about so much of this, like so much stuff, you know. Yeah, all the brain picking that would be going on. 
because clearly she was interested in, you know, in sort of genealogy and, and history herself. Yeah. For her, know, yeah, so absolutely. Would, for her to put all that stuff together. You know, so that would have been really kind of fascinating to, to see. Um, and some of the other stuff that she sort of left in her paperwork was um, an American railway. Her father worked for the one of the American railway companies. Hmm. And she had his uh, sort of signalman card. Oh, I think you sent me a picture of that. Yeah, unfortunately, there was some kind of accident. He was killed when she was only like eight or nine, and he was only, I think, in his early 30s, quite Which, young. I think, honestly, you know, especially that time in that profession was rather common, I think, sadly. Unfortunately so, you know, and and so it was sort of fascinating to sort of uncover all that stuff, you know, so... There's sort of interesting things in, in her family line, and, you know, again, it would have been fascinating to, to have her opinions on that. Now, I'm curious. Actually, this makes me think of something, and uh, I'm not... I'm going to try to word this in a way that doesn't sound, you know, horrible. Oh, just, yeah, just go for it. Do you think it's a little more fascinating for you as an adoptee, because now you have basically two family histories... Oh, yeah. I mean, because I've you're going to have thought... whatever results you get back from the DNA thing about your biological one, but then your adoptive one. Oh, yeah. You I know, mean, because it's... your adoptive one is taking you down to the deep, deep south of the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it definitely has, you know. And, and in some ways, I feel, you know, kind of lucky to, to sort of have that neatness of having all these sort of different different sort of family lines or involvements, however you want to sort of put it. Right, are, exactly. Even, you know, and even though it's not your bloodline, it's still a lot, it's still a line that shaped you and your values. It definitely has, you know, and, um, you know, yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. Uh, she was born in, and raised in Georgia, but then, you know, retired in Florida, as so many do. No! <laughs> Florida, um... You know, and I spent several summers going down there as, you know, as a kid. Just you know, a, so I was, sort of, was it only to Florida by that point, or was she still in Georgia then? No, it was only to Florida, unfortunately. I would have loved to have, to have gone to Georgia with her, you know. Again, that's sort of one of those experiences that, you know, I'll always feel like, you know, probably could have happened if she'd lived a little bit longer. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, you know, that we might have done, you know, when I was a younger adult. Right. But, nope, just to, to Florida. She lived uh, outside of Tampa. Ooh. Actually, I've been to Tampa. It's a nice area down there. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, so it, it's sort of always had, you know, the, the South has always had a sort of nice memory for me, of, you know, going down there and, and hanging out and just driving around with her and stuff. Yeah, and just seeing the stuff because it's a lot different than any than even, you know, slightly up north in the united states let alone up in canada oh god yeah i mean i remember uh one of the things that we did when i went down there and i was probably 10 11 was uh, a sort of very small scale rodeo ah uh, the rodeo and even though they do have things like the the calgary stampede, stampede! Up here, uh, <laughs> rodeo is not really a thing in bc no, and At weirdly least. enough, somewhere in New York, I've seen it driving around for work. There is a rodeo out here. You know, like, it's just, just, especially here, you know, like, people don't do rodeos here. Right, you know, you have more of that West Coast thing than the Central 
thing. You know, there'd be like having yeah. a rodeo out in like California. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, like in the middle of San Francisco or something. Like it's just not a thing here. Yeah, but in I'll... the middle of Calgary, I think what's that's the biggest rodeo on the continent. Yeah, I think so. It's really huge. I've only heard about it. You know, so like that was fascinating, but definitely a little bit of that sort of culture clash. Teeny bit. <laughs> you know, uh, but, you know, I think that was sort of also just, you know, one of the reasons why I love, uh, you know, sort of American history and, you know, uh, certain parts, especially, you know, or like I love show- listening to Shelby Foot one because he's interesting, but two just that familiar accent. I was gonna say, does that remind you of talking to your grandmother? Yeah, I can still hear anytime I hear that really deep Georgia accent, it just makes me happy. Yeah, you know, I haven't heard. Yeah, Shelby Foot obviously... was a fantastic uh, historical author too. You know, I think technically he was from Mississippi, but it's the same sort of accent. Yeah, it's that deep South. Accent. Drawl. Yeah, yes. the drawl. The real slow pronunciation of things. Yep. You know, so it just, it just makes me happy to hear it. See, that's cool. <laughs> um, you know, but yeah, it's, you know, I think that whole sort of just all American history is fascinating, but obviously that sort of time period and all of that. Well, yeah, because, stuff. because it holds a place in your heart because you have a connection to it. Yeah. You know, whereas I don't have a particular connection to one, that area and to that time period. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was cool. Uh, when you went down, how long ago did you go to get your Kia? Uh, that was 2019. You know, so yeah, yeah, he went down to to Florida to, to get his new car and, and drove it back. And one of the things that he did was he went through Georgia and I asked him to just stop at like any tourist stop whatever and pick up like as many pamphlets i i absolutely did you know and just send them to me because you know it's somewhere i haven't been and somewhere that holds such a place in my heart i just wanted to see like pamphlets and pictures and things and weirdly i'll tell you this um stopping at that rest stop in georgia Mm. actually other than being at the Atlanta airport is the first time I'd act, I can recall actually being in Georgia. Ah. Never really been to Georgia in my life. Yeesh. I've flown through, like I say, I've flown through the Atlanta airport a few times, but never set foot outside of it. Yeah. Whereas in this one, I drove from Florida back up to upstate New York. Which was A, insane, but it was... And now I've got all those pamphlets, like, in a, you know, airtight Ziploc. <laughs> I was going to say, I picked you up pretty much everything I could grab. Yeah. Thing now. Yeah, the uh, lady at the desk was looking at me all funny, and I was like, it's for a friend. <laughs> exactly. So that was really awesome. Yeah, and, <laughs> you know, but like I say, with my family coming over post-Civil War and basically... Settling in the western PA, northern West Virginia, eastern Ohio, kind of tri-state area. Yeah. I don't really have any, you know, I don't have any ties to that part of American history. You know, but talk about the coal no. mines? Oh, you got me. Well, that's it. But, I mean, you're, it's been fascinating sort of tracking the little bit I've done of tracking your family history because it's, 
you know, I've always heard about Ellis Island. I mean, everybody kind of knows that that was the port where basically all immigrants kind of arrived to. Um, Especially Europe, but yeah. I think California you know, had one for, you know, uh, Asian immigrants coming that way. But, you know, I never but had Ellis any Island reason. Ellis Island was to, the big one. Yeah, I never had sort of any reason to look at it. I mean, probably, you know, my grams, what, you know, line would have come over, but yours was the first time that, like, I actually went on to the Ellis Island website and, yeah, you know, looked I, at people. because we know for a fact now that a lot of my family did come through Ellis Island. Yeah, and it was just fascinating. I mean, it's sort of a fascinating historic point, you know, and and then to look at that sort of Appalachian area. That's us, you know, baby. That, yeah, that you guys settled in, and obviously, you know, uh, and the, the majority of my of, family is still in western Pennsylvania. Yeah, and the history of that whole, you know, th- what they call the Rust Belt now, but before it was Rust. Yeah, the steel mills, you know, Pittsburgh especially, cranking out a lot of steel. Yeah, and you and I watched, uh, like, documentaries on, like, the Homestead. Yeah, the Homestead, the Homestead Steel Strike, that, you know, the Homestead Steel Mill, you know, I remember I've driven, it, it's now actually a giant shopping mall. <laughs> <laughs> but there's still some parts of the old mill left, and... Yeah. You know, the fact is that, you know, I don't know if any of my family worked there, but they may have. Yeah, and it's just sort of a, you know, the whole, yeah, Rust Belt area is, you know, a fascinating thing. Before it was, you know, unfortunately all that stuff shut down when it was actually working, you know, it was a, such a powerhouse. Oh, God, yeah. And I mean, you know, that's why Pittsburgh was so heavily defended during the uh, the Cold War. Yeah. You know, because, and there's still, you know, there's a lot of uh, missile silos, decommissioned missile silos, mind you. Yeah, which I think sometimes you can buy them, which is amazing. Yeah, there's a, a lot of the decommissioned missile silos out that way, you know, that house, yeah. um, I think the Nike missiles. Yeah, uh, you and I uh, started reading that book a while ago, and you just sent me at the Call to Arms, which actually talks about the sort of the mobilization of uh, all the U.S. industries during World War II, but obviously steel was probably the most important. Oh, God, yeah, because we were cranking out planes and jeeps and ships. Battleships, I was going to say battleships. Yeah, left and right, you know, and a lot were coming out of uh, Pennsylvania steel. They were, and, and you and I did a little bit of research. Unfortunately, we couldn't sort of find... Specifics. I mean, it would be awesome to be able to, like, look at where, like, actual shipments of steel went from, you know, like a Pittsburgh steel mill or a sort of homestead to the construction of a specific ship, maybe, unfortunately. Uh, Those records, I don't think were, if they were kept, they weren't as well kept and probably didn't survive. Yeah, which well, sucks, because, I mean, how awesome would it be to know that, like, Pittsburgh Steel went into something like the USS Missouri? or Right, like, those... and that's the thing, like, you know, we know where these big ships were built, like, what shipyard, but we don't know where they got their materials. Exactly. You know, it's because, always also, so... don't forget, uh, at the time, Alabama also had a pretty strong steel industry. Well, that's it. It's just sort of, the. it's always glossed over. It's just sort of like, oh, well, you know... 300 tons of steels just sort of magically appeared at the, you know, at the right, building. Exactly. All these rail cars full of, 
you know, full of steel, you know, full of, you know, steel plates and beams and girders and mishmash of various things just left Homestead and went somewhere. Yeah, you know, where did it go? What did it actually build? And I'm wondering if even the steel mills really didn't know. They just knew, put it on this train by this time. Oh, they probably didn't. You know, it just wasn't probably super important, yeah, to keep those kinds of records. <laughs> right, but, I mean, maybe eventually we can come up with it. That would be incredibly fair. If anybody listening has any information, please get a hold of us, because this is, you know, something we've been looking <sighs> into for a while. Yeah, I'd love to know where some of those, like, steel shipments ended up. Oh, absolutely. Because wouldn't it be cool to know that, you know, part of the hull of the USS Missouri was, you know, forged in in a Pittsburgh steel mill? Yeah, that would be amazing. And fueled by by Western PA coal. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's... Crazy. Uh, I think some of it did. We didn't. We find that some of it did end up in like New York City. Yeah, a lot of it went to New York City, and I'm betting a lot of it's. I, I would say probably a decent portion of it stayed within the state because there were some shipyards. Yeah. In Pennsylvania and probably on the coast, like Pennsylvania, Maryland, New York, New Jersey. Mm. Uh, there were a lot of big shipbuilding yards, and I think a lot of the. Maybe not necessarily the battleships came out of there, but a lot of, like, the destroyers, the destroyer escorts came out of there. Yeah, which is still awesome. Yeah, and, uh, you know, unfortunately a lot of these ships, uh, you know, as just the way of war with a, as a resource, you know, did their duty and then were scrapped and melted down into something else, be it another ship, be it some sort of building, but, you know, that that's the whole thing about steel. You can't be fickle. No, but it's fascinating. And, you know, U.S. Steel was, you know, best steel in the world. Well, that's that's where the Steelers got their logo from. From U.S. Steel. Yeah, and you look at some of the buildings that were made from it that are still, you know, standing and still iconic. Oh, yeah. um, You know, obviously a lot of the bridges and stuff in Pittsburgh... What? Bridges in Pittsburgh? No. Just a few. Well, what is it? I think a couple of years ago I read an article. It was from, I think, the Chicago Tribune. And one of their writers had gone to Pittsburgh to do kind of a travel piece. And I think he said Pittsburgh has, I think, more bridges per capita than any other city on in the United States. 446. Damn, that's a lot of bridges. Uh, officially, Google says officially has the most bridges in the world and three more even than Venice. Pittsburgh has more bridges than Venice? Yeah. That city is literally sinking into the water and yet Pittsburgh has more bridges than it. And you and I, just as a, you know, funny side, have have laughed about it because... My city decided to replace a very small bridge a few years ago. Yeah, and they're still working on it. Yeah. And, you know, to nobody's surprise, but pretty much everybody's horror, uh, it didn't go very well. Uh, we're not so good at, at bridges, at building them, at replacing them. No, it doesn't seem like it. Maintaining them, designing them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so this thing, which was, you know, supposed to take, I don't know, a year to... 
you know, to replace at a moderate cost of like sixty million, they ended up taking I don't know six years, three hundred million, something like you, that. If you can look it up real quick, what are the dimensions? How long was that bridge? I will look it up. It wasn't very long, if I remember. It's not. So. It's- but, uh, let me see. It is uh, 151 feet. Okay. It's a really small bridge. All right. Uh, I think it's now, like two on, on converse, On the converse, look at... Uh, let's pick one of the random bridges in Pittsburgh, one of the three sisters. Look at the, uh, the Roberto Clemente Bridge. Which I think is 6th Street Bridge? That one is... Or is that the 7th uh, Street? 800... Uh, six three. Okay, that's one of the three sister bridges they call it. It's eight hundred and eighty four feet long. How long did it take to build? Uh, built in eighteen nineteen, so I guess one year. <laughs> and then you guys did a uh, you replaced them or some of them, one of them recently. Uh, yeah, I can't remember. Well, there's the three sister bridges. There's I think the 6th Street Bridge, the 7th Street Bridge, and the 9th Street Bridge. The 6th is the Roberto Clemente. The 9th Street Bridge is the Rachel Carson Bridge. Can't remember what the na- who the person is that they named the other one after. And I saw a story recently where Pittsburgh replaced one of the, you know, really small little tiny bridges. But anyway, it was all done in some insanely short time period. I think it may have even just been a few days or some such. And... It's just endlessly amusing. Uh, we, in our infinite wisdom, decided to use Chinese steel. Well, I mean, because, and that's what really happened with uh, the demise of the Western PA steel, and, or the Pennsylvania steel industry, I should say, or even the American one, is they were able to crank it out faster and cheaper. It is cheaper, but, but that, as But we that's throw- the thing. Cheaper doesn't always necessarily mean better. It's cheaper up front. What they, you know, never tell you and what we found is you end up paying a lot more for it because we had to send back uh, three or four pieces to Asia. Yeah. Which obviously not cheap. No. And not not, Uh, uh, time effective. No. Uh, Then, you know, because they weren't shaped correctly, they didn't fit where they were supposed to fit. So they had to be sort of redone. Yeah. And then when they finally got them in, uh, you know, the bridge shut down almost immediately because, you know, it was there was problems with it. So, but it's a it's a drawbridge, you know, so it can has I, to go up and can down. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Has anybody ever gone over that bridge? Yeah. I mean, occasionally it seems to shut down every couple weeks. <laughs> it seems to shut down whenever the wind changes. <laughs> Basically. Um you know, so it just sort of went on and on where it seemed like, you know, the pieces would come, they'd have to be shipped back, uh, things had to be sort of just redone, they finally got it open, it shot almost immediately, then it opened up again, and then, you know, like a month later, it was shut again for repairs, and it kind of has just gone on that way. Yeah. Meanwhile, in Pittsburgh, we'd built 19 bridges and three cathedrals in that time. Probably did. You know, and the whole time, I mean, it's as stupid as it was. I mean, I just laughed because it was sort of like, you know, you should have bought American steel. Right. 
You buy it once and it works for 200 years. Exactly. Buy it once and you don't have to buy it again. And then get some guys from, get some, uh, get some guys from Western PA to come up, give them a couple cases of beer and they'll build you a bridge in a weekend. They should have. I mean, isn't this sort of the thing they talk about when they quote, you know, best practices, you're supposed to look around and, and figure out who does the best at something. Well, like, Nobody does bridges better than Pittsburgh. Well, I mean, you know, when you build a city basically at the confluence of three really big rivers. Yeah, so hire some construction guys from Pittsburgh and fly them up for a few months. It would have been cheaper. Yeah, exactly. You know, just that whole three rivers thing. And, you know, actually, you know, as we kind of wrap this one up, it's another part of your uh, favorite Pittsburgh historical things is glorious Fort Ninja Star down at the point. Yes, Fort Ninja Star. But, uh, you know, but yeah, but but that's the, the, the era and area of U.S. history that I have the tie to because that's where my family was to kind of get back to where we were before. Yeah. And so I don't have any tie to, like, you know, the California gold rush or the Texas oil boom or, you know, anything like that. Because, you know, quite frankly, my family wasn't in this country Yeah. at the time. I'm, I'm not 100% sure when the Italian side of my family started coming over, but I think it may have been later than the uh, European, the Eastern European side. Mm. But yeah. And I think that's just, uh, that's part of why, what makes this whole thing incredibly fascinating because it's going to cause some shifts because all of a sudden you're going to get this new information and now you're going to have an area that you have a tie to and didn't know about and it's going to be, you know, it's going to give you more reason to research it. Yeah. So that, you know, said that's really going to be fascinating for you when you get your results because, like you said, being an adoptee who is the child of an adoptee, yes. you don't have a freaking clue. Nope. So this is like every Christmas and birthday rolled up into one because you're about to get some information that's going to be pretty big for you. Well, and, you know, and seeing... You know, Hunter's is going to be amusing because we have some idea of his from his dad. Yeah. And it's, it's, there's going to be some there, possibly quite a bit that's uh, centered around French Canadian. Oh, God, no. Possibly the Acadian. Oh, the Acadians. Well, there you go. That actually, don't forget, that can even tie even further into the southern things because where did the Acadians go? Yep, Louisiana, Louisiana they're the And they became the Cajuns. You know, but it's just, I will tease him. Oh, God, I will tease him relentlessly. <laughs> French Canadian, eh? Yeah, careful, he'll surrender. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Take that, France, come at me. Oh, God. But on that one, um, no, it's going to be interesting, and I can't wait to see what your results are. I know you can't. Yeah. But also, let's close this out by saying the DNA ancestry thing doesn't isn't just for humans anymore. Yeah. You can get dog ones. I want to get Leroy dog yes. ones. Yes, uh, for Leroy ye olde hound dog who is sleeping away on the couch. 
Because you and I have gone back and forth about this, you know, what we think he is. Well, according to the vet, he is a mixture of, you know, at least two of the things are uh, Blue Tick Coonhound. Yeah, which I guessed as soon as you sent me a picture of him. Yeah, because that face. The face, the ears, and also the, the spotted chest. Yeah, and Australian Shepherd, which also contributes to the little vest he has. Yeah. So you I know, think... But, honest, but dogs can be weird, you know? They can right. look nothing like their their breed. Exactly. So, I mean, that's just the best guess that we can come up with. Who the hell knows, really? And also, like, as <laughs> you know... Even though Leroy looks like a hound, you know, a mix of hounds and, and stuff. Right, he very well may not not be. You know, he could have, like, Rottweiler or something exactly. weird. There could and... be some weird conglomeration that somehow ended up looking like a hound. But that is, something, that is something I am going to do. I am going to purchase one of the dog DNA ones or the dog, you know, ancestry yeah. ones. And... I'm going to I'm going to send it in because I am very curious. Obviously, he's not going to be you know, in any sort of kennel club. He's, you know, what we would call the old Heinz mutt, the 57 varieties. Yeah, exactly. But I'm but curious a... as to what some of those 57 varieties are. Chihuahua. Oh god, that would be hilarious. 75 pound chihuahua. Exactly. But we'll see. I mean, that's that's going to be something and once I if I do that, you know, we'll do an update on that later, but um, 75 pounds between what he's not eating during the day. Exactly. You know, that's after he goes outside on his patrol. But um, on that one, that was, that was fun. And this was interesting. And it's going to have an interesting conclusion in some time once we get some results. Yeah, we'll do an update and see where we're at. Yeah, do a little update and, uh, you know, go from there and just see what in the world you are. Yeah, exactly. I'll be the mutt. Yeah. Hey, well, you know what? A lot of us are, and that's what makes us great. Update when I when I get my Italian flag. Oh God. It's gonna if there is even yeah even one less than one percent Italian. Zero one. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and one of your ancestors stopped off at the Rome airport. Like, yes, close enough. Me. No. Oh. But on that one, let's end on that goofy note. So, for the carnival, Zach's signing off. Rod, you want to sign off? Goodbye. And we will catch you later on. Tortellini, tortellini.